You're listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast supported by Harvest Partners. For more ways to deepen and challenge your spiritual walk, enroll in Pastor Greg's free online courses. Sign up at Harvest.org. Are you known for your faith? If we were to poll people that work with you, that live near you, that know you, and we were to ask them, is this person a Christian? Would they say, oh yes, no question about it. Pastor Greg Laurie says sharing our faith is one of the preeminent responsibilities God has given us. Listen to this. The world needs to hear the gospel and let Christ change them. But the church needs to live the gospel and give an example to lost people. This is the day when the lost are someone famous dies, that news is in circulation on social media within minutes. By the time the breaking news appears on TV, millions already know about it. But when we consider more important news, what's been called the good news, not the news of death, but the news of life, the culture remains largely unaware, or at least unconcerned. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out how believers should never be ashamed of this gospel message. Well, we're in the book of Romans together, aren't we? And we're in Romans chapter 1. So turn there with me if you would. And the title of my message is Not Ashamed of the Gospel. You know, pretty much everyone loves power. People are always into the biggest, the baddest, the fastest. I think guys especially like power, for sure. You know, you get a bunch of guys together and and especially if they're in a gym and it won't be long until a competition starts, right? Uh, That's just the way of men. Uh, The other day I was in the gym with a guy and I challenged him to a push-up competition. I want to point out he's 20 years younger than me. And uh, I don't want to say who won. (laughs) I won. But uh, (laughs) no, if I had lost, I already have my strategy. I would have said, oh great, you beat a 65-year-old man. Aren't you proud of yourself? But then when I won, I said, oh, you were just beaten by a 65-year-old man. But uh, I'm up to 100 crunches a day right now. Pretty impressive. Nestle's crunches are great. But you know, and then if you get guys together around a car and somebody comes with a fast car, everybody wants to look under the hood. You know, how much horsepower does that car have? Now we may never use it, but we love to brag about horsepower. I read that Dodge has a new car out now, the Challenger Demon. And it has, listen to this, 840 horsepower. Now if you don't know what that means, that's insane. Nobody needs 840 horsepower. It's basically a street legal dragster. It goes zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds. And they say it even kind of pops a wheelie. A very practical thing when you're driving around at the mall, right? I mean, that's a lot of horsepower, for sure. And then there's other kinds of power besides that. There's processor power. If you're into computers, processor power. How many gigs you have in that? How much storage do you have in that? 
you know, and, and this is a good time to be a nerd, by the way. And so, in fact, it is truly the revenge of the nerds because we need them so badly. So we're in the power of all kinds in our culture. Well, the Romans, they were really in to power. They were known for power. Oh, sure, the Greeks had their philosophy, but Rome had power and lots of it. There was no military force on the face of the earth more powerful than the legions of Rome. They were feared around the planet. And when Rome would conquer other nations and then take people as slaves, uh, Rome could exert their power, but they could not change the human heart. They were powerless to do that. The Roman world was filled with violence and corruption and, and in fact it reminds us a little bit of today. Did you know that uh, Rome had a very high suicide rate? That's interesting because we have a very high suicide rate in America as well. This could be indicated by the top three words that are typed into search engines on Google late at night. The three words are porn, lonely, and suicide. That sums it up. Porn, lonely, suicide. Suicide rates in America have risen 25%. 45,000 Americans take their lives every year. This despite the fact that antidepressant use is up, but it doesn't seem to be helping. The National Suicide Hotline saw calls double from 2014 to 2017. In just a few years, calls to the suicide hotline have doubled. And I think this is only uh, made more clear when you hear of celebrities taking their own lives. In one week, as you recall, fashion designer Kate Spade and CNN personality Anthony Bourdain both took their own lives by suicide and tragically in the same way by hanging. I saw an excerpt being interviewed on television and he himself admitted to struggling with suicidal thoughts. So he traveled around the world and interviewed experts uh, trying to understand why do people feel so despondent they want to take their own lives. And here's what he concluded, and I quote, he says, we have natural physical needs. We need food, water, shelter, clean air. If those are taken away, we're in trouble really fast. Then he went on to say, there is equally strong evidence that people have very strong psychological needs. And I would expand that to spiritual needs. He says, you need to feel you belong. You need to feel as though your life has meaning and purpose. You need to feel that people see and value you. And finally he said, you need to feel you have a future that makes sense. Now here's my response. Are not all of these needs met in a relationship with Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. And that is why we need to get this message out. And we come to Paul's very well-known statement here in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Quick poll. How many of you are not ashamed of the gospel? Raise up your hand. You're not ashamed. Very good. All right. How many of you have ever personally shared the gospel? Raise up your hand. Great. How many of you have had the privilege of personally leading someone to Jesus Christ? Raise up your hand. Well, it's quite a few of you. And you know, that is not the national statistic. I read recently that 90% of Christians have never led a person to Jesus. Why do you think that is? The answer is the devil is in the details for sure. 
Because one thing we know about Satan is he does not want you to share your faith with anybody. And he will do everything he can to keep you from doing it. And know this, when you get out there and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and you start looking for opportunities to engage people in evangelistic conversations, you are gonna face satanic opposition in one way, shape, or form. The devil's objective is to blind and bind people for life. Again, the devil's objective is to blind and to bind people for life. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the eyes and minds of those that don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ. So our mission, should we decide to accept it, cue mission impossible theme, <laughs> is to lovingly engage these people with the gospel. Because 2 Timothy 2.23 says, perhaps God will change these people's hearts and they'll learn the truth and they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Man, we need to redouble our efforts to do that because you know, America right now seems to be coming apart at the seams. And we see gender divide. We see racial divide. We see every kind of political divide, of course. And it seems to be worse than it's ever been. And we say, how are we ever going to put this back together again? It's not a political solution. It's a spiritual solution. We need another Jesus revolution. We need a spiritual awakening. Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. Emails, phone calls, and messages from listeners are so encouraging to us, and they let us know the effectiveness of these studies. Pastor Greg, I first heard you on the radio in the 1990s. I'd go through the different stations just to hear you preach. Your messages about Jesus helped me in such a huge way to get through some really hard times. It was the highlight of my day just to listen to you. My kids remember and comment on your voice. My son calls it the Jesus voice. I have found that there's nothing impossible through Jesus Christ. God bless you and your family. Has Pastor Greg heard from you? Why not call us and share your story? Here's the number, 1-866-871-1144. 866-871-1144. Well, today, Pastor Greg is presenting a message from our new Romans series called Not Ashamed of the Gospel. Let's continue now in Romans chapter 1. Listen to this. The world needs to hear the gospel and let Christ change them. But the church needs to live the gospel and give an example to lost people. And you know, when you stop and think about it, Jesus put some pretty unlikely characters together in his home team, the disciples. I mean, we think of the disciples on, like they're standing on little pedestals and they never made mistakes. Nothing could be further from the tooth. They were extraordinarily ordinary people, just like you, just like me. <laughs> Jesus called one guy, called Simon the Zealot, and he put him together with another guy known as Matthew the tax collector. Now if you don't know the culture of the time, that doesn't mean a lot. Simon the Zealot, what does that mean, the Zealot? Does that mean he was very excitable and drank Red Bull all day long? <laughs> no, a Zealot 
is a word that speaks of someone who is dedicated to the violent overthrow of Rome. You could call him Simon the anarchist. Simon perhaps even the terrorist. Simon the zealot. And then there was Matthew the tax collector. Matthew was a Jew, also known as Levi. And he was sort of a turncoat from his own people, his fellow Jews, collecting taxes for the occupying force of Rome. So here you have a guy that's in collusion with Rome and you have another guy that's dedicated to the violent overthrow of Rome. And Jesus says to the two of them, now you guys get along and love one another. But Jesus brought these people together and their lives changed. Think of James and John. They're called the sons of thunder. You don't get a handle like that for nothing. If they were around today, they would definitely be outlaw bikers, I think. You'd hear them rumbling in five miles away. They'd have ape hanger handlebars. They'd cruise in. They would have those leather vests, tats up and down their arms. They'd of course have the obligatory uh, wallet on a chain, as all bikers do. And then uh, they might have a knife in their belt. They would come and sit down. And you wouldn't want to mess with these guys. On one occasion they wanted to call fire down on a city because the city was not receptive to the message of Jesus. Slightly overkill. <laughs> and yet one of those brothers, John of James and John, went from being a son of thunder to the apostle of love. Only God can take a son of thunder and turn him into an apostle of love. Only God can take a Saul of Tarsus, the Christian killer, and turn him into the great Apostle Paul, the author of the gospel we're looking at together. And that is why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The former Saul of Tarsus knew if God could reach him, anyone could be reached. And so to this powerful church in Rome, Paul writes this epistle, or really a letter. And we should be glad he wrote it because it was his desire to go to Rome, but he wasn't able to go when he wanted to go. So he wrote them a letter. And now we study this letter together. Romans is the most basic, comprehensive statement of what the gospel is in all of the Bible. In a logical, systematic way, Paul knocks down every argument against the gospel, and he shows that Christ and Christ alone is our only hope in both the first and the 21st century in any century to follow. We're reading now about the first Jesus revolution, if you will, when Jesus himself started it and passed this message on to his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So let's read now from Romans chapter one. We'll read verses eight to 16, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. Paul writes, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for y'all. So we know Paul was Southern for y'all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by some means now at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Underline that phrase. We'll come back to it impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established, continues on, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now 
that I might have some fruit among you also. Underline that too. We'll come back to it. Just as among the Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, to wise and unwise. And as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to all who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Wow. Boom. <laughs> There's some truth there. It's like trying to take a drink from a fire hydrant. Right? It's just a lot of truth coming our way. So since this was the first Jesus revolution, let's find some takeaway points. If you're taking notes, number one, if you want to be a Jesus revolution Christian, you should be known for your faith. If you want to be a Jesus revolution Christian or a believer like those of the first century, you should be known for your faith. Look at verse 8. I thank my God through Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It wasn't easy to be a Christian in Rome. Rome was of course the capital of the Roman Empire. It was a center of power Huge population, lived there around a million people. Caesar Nero was in power. Nero was insane. He, toward the end of his reign, went out of his way to destroy Christians. In fact, it was Caesar Nero that sent Christians to be covered in animal skins into the arenas to be killed by wild animals for sport and the entertainment of the people that were in attendance. It was Caesar Nero that literally covered Christians with pitch and lit them on fire and used them to light his own garden as he rode around in his chariot. Yet this church of Rome did not just survive. They flourished. And not only did they flourish, but the impact of the Roman Empire and in fact the impact of the whole world. That is why Paul says, you're known for this around the whole world. Are you known for your faith? If we were to poll people that work with you, that live near you, that know you, and we were to ask them, is this person a Christian? Would they say, oh yes, no question about it. It's a good thing to be known for. As I've said before, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I mean good evidence. Not Harvest Crusade bumper stickers. <laughs> Though that's a good thing. I'm all for that. On number two, if you want to be a Jesus Revolution Christian, you need to be using your spiritual gifts. If you want to be a Jesus Revolution Christian, you need to be using your spiritual gifts. Look at verse 11. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. I mentioned last time that God gives spiritual gifts to each one of us. And if someone gives you a gift, should you not open it? I love to get gifts for people. And I'll get a gift from my wife occasionally and maybe I'll have it wrapped up in a box. I don't wrap it myself because I have no wrapping skills at all. And that goes for wrapping gifts and hip hop as well. No wrapping skills. <laughs> but um, so I'll give this gift to go, Kathy, I got this for you. Maybe we're out at a meal or something. She'll say, okay, and she'll set it aside and eat her meal. I'm like, open, open it. I'll open it later. 
after dessert. No, no, not after dessert. Open it now. I'm so excited. I think you're really going to like it. So here's God in heaven. He says, I've given you a gift, or I've given you gifts. Will you open them? Now are you going, sorry to throw my wife under the bus on this one. Are you going to just leave them sitting there until after dessert? Hey man, open those gifts that God has given to you. They're spiritual gifts. In fact, we're even told in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, we should not come behind in any spiritual gift as we wait for the coming of the Lord. Now later in Romans 12, 6 uh, to 8, Paul talks about these gifts. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace that is given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him do it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, well, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Note it says we have different gifts. We all have gifts that God has given to us. Now when you become a Christian and you ask Christ to come into your life and you ask Him to fill you with the Spirit and empower you with the Spirit, He will install in you or instill in you, I should say, gifts from the Spirit. You need to find out what those gifts are and start to use them. Why? Because these gifts of the Spirit that God wants to give are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with and they are weapons to fight with. Maybe God's given you the gift of being an evangelist. I remember when I was a young Christian I went down to see Billy Graham uh, preach in the stadium. And in fact I was already beginning my ministry at that point. And I, I watched him preach. I was so amazed. I loved it seeing all those people accept Christ. And I went forward too. I was already a Christian but I just wanted a closer look at Billy Graham. And there he was. And I thought that's what I want to be when I grow up. I never thought that I'd be preaching in a stadium. But I just felt sort of a connection to that gift that he had. And I thought I think God wants me to do that. I think God wants me to tell other people about Jesus. But the problem is we think an evangelist is just a guy in a pulpit preaching. And that can be an evangelist. But some of the best evangelists I know don't have pulpits. And they don't pastor churches. They're just folk out there who love to engage people in evangelistic conversations. I introduced you recently to my friend Barry McGuire. Not the singer, another Barry McGuire. This is from McGuire's Car Wax. It's his family that started that company. Barry's a very successful businessman. He's not a preacher, per se. But I'm telling you, when I hang out with Barry McGuire, he puts me to shame. He engages everyone in evangelistic conversations. He's always looking for ways to share the gospel. And he'll go into all kinds of very interesting settings with a lot of non-believers present. And he'll tell them about his faith in Jesus and what Christ has done for him. I received a letter the other day from a lady who actually works as a sheriff. And it sounds to me like she too is an evangelist. Let me read you her letter. She says, I became a Christian in high school and was baptized at your church in Riverside at the age of 19. Shortly after I became a deputy for the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, I worked my way through the ranks and I find myself now working as a sergeant in the very city where I once patrolled as a deputy. As a result, I find myself reunited with the same lost and neglected drug addicted souls from 15 years ago. This world, she writes, has not been kind to them. 
I felt very convicted to cover these people by prayer, by name, and attempt to bring them to Christ for the salvation and hope only He can bring. She says, by listening to your radio program on my way to work, I've been encouraged by your words to do the work that God has called me to do for Him. Tonight, I was not only able to share the gospel with a broken, drug-addicted woman, but she was open to being led to Christ. I was a bit unprepared for the last part, and I found myself not being able to remember the prayer to lead people to Christ. Uh, fortunately for me, you had a short video on your website I was able to play for her. We both watched, and she prayed the prayer, and I for her. I'm encouraged to reach out to others that this world has given up on, and I also am going to be better prepared next time. I know that not every contact will end this way as it did tonight, but I want to continue to water and plant, being assured God's word does not return void. Then she concludes by saying, I'm praying for a Jesus revolution. Isn't that an amazing letter? So next time you get arrested, I know you get arrested a lot, uh, pray it's her. No, seriously. Here's a lady who has a career in law enforcement. She's putting it on the line for the gospel. Understandably, this could jeopardize her career to engage people like she is. But who else would reach these people in this state? And I love the way she's taking the platform God has given her and using it for His glory. You have a platform as well. Pastor Greg Laurie is bringing important insights today from the first chapter of Romans in a message called, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. It's just the second study in our series called, Relentless Grace, Paul's Letter to the Romans. Well, Pastor Greg, I, I ran across the words of Ruth Graham. Hmm. She said, our daughter's Swiss in-laws once gave my husband a Swiss watch. Mm -hmm. Eventually, it stopped working, but no local watchmaker could fix it. So the next time we were in Switzerland, we sent it directly to the company that made it. They had no problem. The ones who made it knew how to make it work again. <laughs> yes. It's that way with a marriage, isn't it? If, if we're looking to fix it, we need to consult the one who made marriage. Yes, it's very true. And God has given us so many truths in the Bible about how to have a strong and lasting marriage. You know, another statement that Ruth made about marriage is a good marriage is made up of two forgivers. And I think that love keeps short accounts. You have a conflict, uh, you need to resolve it to the best of your ability and not let the sun go down in your wrath, but you need to forgive and you need to forget. And, and you need to appreciate and love and value and honor your spouse and let them know. You have to verbalize it to them. They can't read your mind. <laughs> and, and I can't think of a better resource that I could offer you that are married out there. And even some of you that are single, why not learn about marriage before you get married? And this resource I want to talk to you about is called The Marriage Devotional, written by my friend Levi Lusko, along with his wife, Jenny. It's a very practical book. It's a biblical book. It's, it's something that's going to help you strengthen your marriage. It's devotions you go through each and every day. Levi, how many devotions are in this book and how long would it take to go through one with your spouse? 
Well, there's 52, and that will last you either a whole year or a month and a half, Mm -hmm. depending on how you approach it, whether you need more intensive, focused work or you have the leisure of a whole year. Uh, I think if you gave, you know, 15 minutes, you could do it. But honestly, you could spend an evening, bring it with you on your date night. As you go through it, you you would read through the content in just 10, 15 minutes. We didn't want a high bar there if you look up the verses. But if you take the time to answer the questions and to do the activities that we recommend, it could last you definitely an hour. And we also know couples that will read it by themselves Mm -hmm. and then come together and share their answers. So there's no wrong way to go through it. Um, But, you know, you're going to get God's word. Uh, The Bible opens with the marriage in the the book of Genesis. The Bible closes with the marriage in the book of Revelation. And in the dead center is the book of Song of Solomon, where God really puts his stamp of approval on this institution of marriage that he created, that he knows how to get the best out of, and that he wants to be a powerhouse for evangelism. Ephesians says that marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ and his church. So if our marriages are operating how God wants them to, the result will be people coming to know Jesus. We know that we have listeners right now that have strong and vibrant marriages. We know that there's some folks listening right now whose marriage is in trouble, and I think I'm probably speaking to someone who has their marriage hanging by a thread, and maybe the thread's on fire. Well, we have help for you, hope for your marriage, and it's called the Marriage Devotional. We'll send it to you for your gift of any size this month to help us continue on with our ministry, The Marriage Devotional, written by Levi and Jenny Lesko. Order your copy right now. I think this is one of the most important resources we've ever offered here on A New Beginning. Yeah, and we're ready to send it your way. We're so thankful for your partnership. You know, we don't have any large organizations covering all the expenses of bringing you these studies. Now, it's listener support that makes it possible. So as you invest today, we'll be glad to send you the Marriage Devotional to say thank you. You can call us at 1-800-821-3300. That's a 24-7 phone number, 1-800-821-3300. Or simply go online to harvest.org. Well, next time, Pastor Greg helps us all dig in, stand up, and speak out with the gospel. And for some extra help with evangelism, check out Pastor Greg's free study course called Tell Someone. You'll find all his free online courses at harvest.org. And then join us again next time here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher Greg Laurie. Thanks for listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Sign up for daily devotions and learn how to become a Harvest Partner at harvest.org.